some people who are coming back around after a little bit. We're so glad that you're here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that. I'm usually hanging out right around here, down in the back. Um, just come up and introduce yourself to me. Um, I would love a chance to, to connect faces and names. Uh, let's pray together before we jump into our conversation this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather here today as a group of people uh, who have imperfect lives, who are coming from some amazing first weeks of the year and some weeks that were the first week of the year that were a huge disappointment and everything in between. God, you know us. You know our lives. You know our stories. You know where each one of us is at, and we're so thankful for that relationship that you invite us into. God, I pray that you would be with us in this time, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. Jesus, that you would be engaging our hearts with what you want to say to each one of us this morning. And we thank you so much, as we do every week, for this opportunity to be here in this school. God, we pray that you would continue to bless Sheridan School. God, that when we leave here today, your presence would remain, and that it would make a difference for the students and the faculty and the staff. God, that there would be a, a, a different type of peace here in this place because of you and what you're doing. God, we thank you for the way that they serve us by letting us use this space and for the ways that we've been invited to serve them. God, we pray for your protection over that relationship in Jesus' name. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll admit, I'm the one that wrote the community time question. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I thought people were going to be like, spiders, snakes. The question was, what are you afraid of? So, come on, who's afraid of spiders? Admit it, snakes. Anyone? Who's afraid of the dark? Just admit it, it's fine. Like, unknown, you know, dark basements, you got to turn the light on first, right? I have this really odd fear of birds. Anyone else afraid of birds? Okay, because there are certain places that you are, right? Steph, you were with me. Where those birds get uncomfortably close to you. And if you're eating some bread or something like that, it's like you think they're going to take it right out of your hand. So I have had some not-so-great moments with birds. So if anyone's like a big bird lover, it's not personal, okay? I'm just saying I'm a little bit scared of birds, that's all. There are things that a lot of us are afraid of. Um, when I was thinking about this today, uh, this, over this last week, it reminded me of this very popular um, slogan in the 90s. Maybe some of you who were alive in the 90s, there's a couple of you who weren't, uh, will remember the no fear. Do you remember this? Remember this logo? Put it, put it up there for me. Yeah, no fear. Who had a no fear t-shirt? Come on. Or a bumper sticker, or drank like the Sobe no fear energy drink. Now, the cool thing about no fear is that it came to the surface right around the time I was like right in the core of my jock life, okay? It was at the time of my life in the 90s when I was playing every sport that you could possibly play. Um, I played ice hockey and basketball and soccer, and I even had this little unfortunate bout with um, aggressive inline skating. You guys remember this? People put rollerblades on and do things that nobody should do for the sake of their body. And so this was like a thing that I was into for a little while. So the no fear thing was like, yeah, no fear. We're going to step out here. We're going to do it. And all that that ever did for me in my life was result in a few broken bones, um, some permanently scarred knees from aggressive inline skating, and uh, many concussions that are actually, I don't want to talk about it too long because it'll make me upset because I had way too many concussions. And just like so many unfortunate joint issues that I now have in my life. That's what no fear got me. Because it turns out there were some things that I should have been a little bit afraid of. All right? Like, for instance, deciding to go down a half pipe on rollerblades when you have no idea what you're doing. Bad idea. 
You should have been afraid of that. Uh, it turns out I should have been afraid of the women on the ice hockey teams that were twice my size whenever we went out to play in upstate New York, okay? Because that's where all the Canadian gals went to play for college. I had no idea I was supposed to be afraid of Canadians. But in that situation, you should be, okay? This is what the no fear thing got me. So today we're starting this conversation, do not be afraid. And uh, I bring up the no fear thing because sometimes when you just take the phrase, do not be afraid, it kind of sounds like no fear. You know, like let's get a Red Bull and just push through it. And that's definitely not the point of this conversation that we're having. The reason we put the words do not be afraid in quotation marks is because we're going to actually look at three different places over the next three weeks where Jesus says the phrase, do not be afraid. And if you take the phrase out of context, it could sound like no fear from the 90s. It could just sound like Jesus is trying to like rev everybody up and playing some jock jams and get everybody going. I really don't think that's what Jesus is doing. In fact, if you pay attention to the, the context of where Jesus is saying these phrases and who he's saying them to and why, I actually think there's some practical things that Jesus is expressing about what it looks like to not be afraid. Because similar to my uh, jock experience in the 90s, um, there are some things that it makes sense that we're afraid of. There are some threats in our lives. And I don't think that Jesus was saying that there weren't any. He was saying that in the midst of those things, do not be afraid. And I think this is a time in our lives where it makes sense for us to have this conversation. But I don't think the no fear mantra works, okay? This just like have a little bit more grit or just pick yourself up by your bootstraps or just muster up a little bit more uh, strength and then you won't be afraid. Anybody who has experienced and been kind of confronting their fear in their life knows that that does not work. That's not how it happens. Even though there are things that confront the well-being that we have in our life that are maybe threatening our well-being, it's not like we can just decide to not be afraid. It's not like something that we can just turn off like a switch in our lives. And maybe some of you hoped I was going to say that you could, but I really don't think we can. For most of us, that's not how it works. And for me, that hasn't been my experience. When Jesus says these words, or actually I think we could use the word command, when Jesus offers this command, I don't think he's expecting us to turn fear off like a switch either. In fact, if we pay attention to the story, if we pay attention to the surrounding context to every time that Jesus says this, I think we can see some very clear ways that Jesus is inviting us to keep fear from controlling our lives, to keep fear from being a driving force behind the decisions that we might make, to keep fear from being something that clouds our perspectives and hinders or projects us into certain actions. So today, we want to look at a specific spot in uh, Gospels, and it's kind of counterintuitive. I actually want to go to uh, a passage that is towards the end of Jesus' life and ministry. But as I was thinking about what it looked like to frame up this conversation, I really felt like this was the place to start. So we're going to be in John chapter 14 if you have a Bible. Over these next few weeks, here's, there's kind of three things that we want to do, okay? The first is to acknowledge that fear is in our lives. Some of you would say, well, I know that there's fear in my life. But for most of us, if not all, at times, there's fear that's being masked as something else. It can be kind of sneaky like that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Second, we're going to talk about the realities that we might face if we do let fear be a driving force in our lives. 
And then third, we want to talk about some practices that we see Jesus inviting us into and that we know from our faith tradition can help us move from lives motivated by fear to lives motivated by love and peace and courage. So that's what these next three weeks are about. So John 14, if you've looked at this part of scripture before, this is uh, this part of the story that we now come to call the Last Supper. The Last Supper. So this is the last meal that Jesus is having with his followers uh, right before he goes to his death and then ultimately his resurrection. Um, and it actually covers quite a few chapters here in this version of the story in the book of John. Um, during this part of the story, it's not just any meal that they're having, it's the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a, a very important uh, holiday, celebration, ritual, season for Jewish people at this time. It's the kind of thing that you stop everything for, the way that we might stop everything for Christmas or Easter and, and, and try to uh, focus on coming together and focus on what the true meaning is of the time, right? So this is what they're doing here. They're focusing on uh, the, the symbolism and the memory of this reality in the Jewish culture of looking back over their understanding of what happened in their captivity in Egypt when God was about to set them free and how there was a, a night where God's spirit went over all of the homes and any of their kids that were their firstborn sons were spared of their life if they took the blood of a lamb and they put it on their wooden doorposts, mostly wooden doorposts, okay? And if they did that, then their, their lives of their sons would be spared. That was the Passover, okay? God's spirit was passing over them. That's the way they understood that experience. And so Jesus is inviting his followers to this meal, his disciples, the closest people to him. And as he's gathering, gathering them around this meal, he has way more in mind than the Jewish ritual experience that they have all had every year up until this point. And we know now in, in the story and how it goes that within 24 hours, his blood was going to be spread on a wooden cross as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so he's at this Passover meal, and you guys, I don't know about you, but for many years, I didn't realize how much, how many stories about Jesus' ministry that we now know and we, and we think about sometimes often took place at that Last Supper. So maybe this is what some of you know, but for me, it was kind of surprising. For instance, at this meal, this is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the very last meal, and he tells them that they too are to be servants because washing their feet was what a servant would do. During this meal, he takes the bread and the cup, and he says... I want you to remember me when you take this bread and you break it. It's my body broken for you. When you drink this cup, it represents my blood that has been shed for you. And that's why so many followers of Jesus, including us, celebrate communion like we do every single week, remembering that moment during the Last Supper. It's also during this meal that he predicts, Jesus predicts his betrayal by one of his followers, Judas. He predicts the denial by one of his followers, Peter. And it's during this meal that he starts to try to express in a new way, he's been trying to talk to his followers about this, and trying to express to his friends that he's going to lose his life. And so he's trying to explain this to them. And you can imagine that they're confused. Why is this man saying that he's going to be killed? We've seen him heal people. We've seen him raise people from the dead. What is he talking about? And they're all very confused. It's also during this meal that Jesus talks about the vine and the branches which has become a very popular phrase and, and thought about how we are like the vine and the branches and we're connected to God and apart from Jesus we can do nothing. And he says this phrase, abide with me or make your home with me. 
He says that there. Also, during the Last Supper, he begins to pray for all of his followers, which is recorded in John 17. He prays for those leaders there, and then he says he's going to pray for people who will come after him. That's all of us. He prays that they would have unity and that that unity would bring glory to God. All of this happens. He says to them, your love for one another will be what an unbelieving world will see that we are people who believe in the love of Jesus. And right here in the middle of all of this that happens, Jesus expresses this phrase, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. John 14, I'm going to start in verse 23. We'll have it on the screen. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus goes on to say a lot more actually after that. But even in what I just read, can you begin to hear more than just this no fear mentality of what Jesus is saying? I imagine that Jesus is talking with his disciples during this time and sometimes the emotion of the situation kind of leaves us. But think about it for a minute. He knows what's about to happen. Can you imagine Jesus must be sharing what he's sharing with so much like urgency yet so much compassion and love at the same time? Like this deep sense of urgency because he knows what's about to happen. I actually think if you look in this passage, you see that Jesus must have been expressing with the, the side of urgency because he knows that these people who he loves are about to freak out. They are about to freak out. Within maybe, I don't know, an hour or two from when he's saying these words, they go out into this dark garden of Gethsemane, and, and Judas comes with some soldiers with torches and lanterns and takes Jesus away. The whole thing just reeks of betrayal and lies and, and so much to be afraid of. And these guys, they, they freak out. Of course they do. So listen to the love and compassion to what Jesus is saying then. He knows that's about to happen. My Father will love you, and we will come to you. We will make our home with you. My peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Can you imagine the emotions behind what Jesus was sharing with them at that time? I think that Jesus gives us some clear ways that we can begin to step towards uh, confronting some of the fear in our lives. I actually want to stop and talk a little bit about the reality of fear in our life before we look at some of these ways that we can approach it. Some of you are at a point in your life, I know the stories, I talk with a lot of you, where you are well aware of the ways that fear has been impacting your life. You've maybe been doing some work around this. You've been discovering this in your life. You've been asking some questions of yourself or maybe you've entered into a process where someone's asking those questions with you. But for many of us, maybe at any time, we can all grow in some self-awareness around this. And I do think at times, 
It's easy for us to be experiencing some fear in our life that's still motivating us, maybe controlling us at times, certainly affecting us in certain ways that we don't realize and we haven't been identifying it in our lives. Okay, so I, I want to use kind of the old iceberg analogy, okay? I know you've seen this before for various things. So we got this iceberg. You see the iceberg? So the iceberg analogy, right, there's like a little bit on top and then there's way more going on beneath the surface. This is true for many things in life. And I think that fear is often call, cause, called something that is like a root emotion, okay? And a lot of other things that we experience in life at times are a secondary emotion. Not always, but often, okay? So sometimes when we're experiencing anger, for instance, that is a secondary emotion to the root emotion, which is that we're scared about something or we're feeling some fear, okay? So this is not always true, but I think it's worth reflecting on. So let me give you some examples of what might be on the top of the iceberg, but actually beneath the surface, fear is the root of this reality. So expressing anger or maybe frustration, just feeling frustrated all the time. And other times it's this kind of overwhelming sense of being stubborn, like not willing to change because there's a fear of what might happen. Uh, oftentimes dualistic thinking, kind of this black and white mentality comes from a sense of fear. Like there needs to be a very clear answer and there's not a lot of room for nuance in an approach because it would be easier to not feel fear when there's a clear black and white this or that dualistic thinking. That's what I mean by that. Uh, sometimes this fear is manifesting in our lives in the ability, the inability to listen well. Okay, what I mean by that is you're listening to somebody and maybe they're expressing something that makes you feel anxious or they're expressing something that is just really different than your opinion, like the opposite opinion that you have. And instead of being able to focus on what they're saying, you feel these thoughts racing and your heart's racing. This kind of thing happens to a lot of us. And this can sometimes be at the root, a sense of fear that's coming up in our lives. Sometimes it comes up on the top of the iceberg as justifying why we won't take risks. So at times, a risk is not safe. It's not healthy. Don't do it. But other times, it's a good risk to take. It's good to push ourselves, but we're justifying why we can't do it time and time again, and we don't step into something that God's inviting us into. Sometimes it's manifests itself as decisions that are being made on what we would like to say are logical. Oh, I'm just being logical. These are the logical way to handle this. But sometimes, instead of logical, it's actually just what seems more safe in that moment. And it doesn't always mean it's wrong. I'm just trying to help us identify the fact that when we do that, it might be a fear of failure that we're feeling. It might be a fear of loss of what might happen if we were to step into something new. Sometimes it looks like running after trivial things. Uh, sometimes people use the phrase FOMO, fear of missing out, right? And, and, and filling your schedule, doing everything, stepping into things that you really know don't matter, but you're just distracting yourself because there's this fear at the core, and I'm not sure what it always is. Sometimes it's a fear of not being significant. Sometimes it's a fear of being alone or being left out. Every once in a while, I see this manifest in people who just date a ton of people because they have this fear of commitment. So they're dating, 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 dating all these different people, and every time I see them, they've got a different person on their arm. And I'm going, whoa, what's going on? But there's sometimes a fear of being alone, sometimes a fear of commitment. Other times, people don't put themselves out there in that area of life because there's a fear of rejection. All of this stuff on the surface, at times, can mean something totally different beneath the surface, but there are a lot of times when it's fear. So I'm encouraging you just to reflect on what that could be. And I'm not saying any of this to bum you out. I'm 
not. I'm just saying that our culture has done a really good job of causing us to keep what's in that iceberg beneath the surface. It's part of the air that we breathe, I think. This idea that pretend like your fear isn't there. It's more acceptable to have FOMO than it is to, to confront the actual fear of being insignificant. It's more culturally appropriate to be angry about something that you saw on the internet than it is to confront the deep fears that you have about what if you're wrong or what if these other people are wrong or what if this or this or this or ha is happening. It's like that no fear slogan from the 90s has seeped into our culture so significantly that it causes us to shove down any of these genuine emotions so that we can't access them very well. So I want to encourage some of you today that 2018 can be the year when you begin to confront the fear that you have in your life in a new way. If we don't start confronting it, we can't move through it. It's probably going to take other people doing it with you. I know I say this all the time, but it's going to take people who you invite into that kind of process with you. Maybe it's a friend from your missional community, somebody you meet in an equipping hour class, maybe a roommate or a spouse, prayer partner, somebody like that. And I'll say this as many times as I need to, but I'm never afraid to say, hey, if it needs to be a therapist or a spiritual director or a counselor, those folks have changed my life. I know sometimes people say to me, oh, is it you really think it's that bad? And I'm like, why would we wait till it's that bad? No way, man. We've got a list on our website under our care page of therapists that we recommend. We'd love to connect you. By no means do I think Jesus is talking to people who experience anxiety as a... Uh, a mental illness. He's not saying don't be afraid to those people. There are tools, there's resources. But what if this was the year that we confronted our fear for real? Fear in our lives is something that almost all of us want to keep beneath the surface. Almost all of us want to keep from admitting it, and, and we don't want to admit that it's there. And it makes sense why we don't. But Jesus said these words to his followers because he knew they were already afraid. He knew they were about to be more afraid. God knows our hearts. God knows that we're afraid. And I don't believe that God says this out of shame, but out of love. Do not be afraid. Some of you know this. is the most common command in the entire Bible from God to the followers of Yahweh. And I think God says that so many times, not to shame us, but out of love and compassion and a deep desire for us to experience a life that, yes, has threats, but can be covered in peace that Jesus is talking about here. When we picture God like a disappointed parent who says, don't be afraid, you silly kids, get over it, what's your problem? If that's how we picture God, that's that's a sign that fear is controlling us, that fear has begun to take over who we are and all that God hopes for us to be. There's a few things I just want to point out because I think there's a lot at stake if we don't uh, acknowledge and begin to deal with how pervasive fear can be in our lives. There's three things that I want to point out. I bet there's more. Three things that I want to point out and I see uh, addressed here in this passage. The first one I don't want to spend a lot of time on. The first one is, if there's, I think there's a lot at stake if fear is pervasive in our lives, and what is at stake is our health, okay? I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, so that's above my pay grade, I'm not going to get into it too far, but you don't have to search Google too far to see how bad for you fear and anxiety is in your life when it's pervasive, 
all right? I know some of you have read about this before. This idea of cortisol and other hormones blasting through our brains and our bodies has an effect on us when we experience chronic anxiety and chronic fear. It causes diseases. It causes us to do unhealthy behaviors in ways that are unhealthy for us consistently. It shortens our lifespans. We could go on. This um, fight or flight response, you know about that, right? The fight or flight response. I believe God designed us to have that for actual predators that are coming at us, like saber-toothed tigers or whatever you see in all those Ice Age movies. I don't know. But when that cortisol, that fight or flight is coursing through our veins, when uh, we get a call from the boss that we're really stressed out by, I don't know what it is for you, but that could be one of them. Hopefully nobody that I supervise. Uh, or when uh, the news cycle flips on your phone, you get, a, you get a message about something in the news. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you, but when that chronic thing is happening, it's bad for you. Ask anybody who has experience in the medical or psychological field. Did you know, I read this week, that Lifetime Fitness apparently is turning all the news channels off of their TVs? You guys, you can imagine. They said, they said it is not, what are they, what's the quote? It is not, uh, it's hindering the healthy lifestyle philosophy of the company. Now, you can imagine people are freaking out about this <laughs> on both sides, right? Like, people are like, oh, how am I supposed to get my news in during my time on the elliptical? And then everybody else over here is going like, this is why we need the serenity, right? And so they're all freaking out. Everyone's freaking out, which is not healthy either. Obviously, turning off the TV or limiting the time on the phone or the news, that can be really helpful practices. I'm not knocking that, but some of us know that turning it off doesn't make it go away. It's helpful at times, encouraging the practice. I, I, I'm not going to state any public opinion about lifetime fitness. I'm just saying I get why they're doing it. How might your life be different if you were to get real about the role that fear plays in your life? How might your physical health be different? Okay. Second thing that I think is at stake when fear is pervasive in our lives, and that is our decisions. Our decisions. I've heard it said, this quote I'm going to put on the screen here, most of our decisions we make are motivated either by fear or by love. Not all of the decisions, but many decisions are motivated either by fear or by love. Start to think about that for a minute. You'll see where that comes from. Decisions motivated by fear often seem safe, but more often than not harm you and others. Can you see why they seem safe, but they're really not? I think this is why Jesus, right before and after this passage, talks so much about love. He says, people will know that you're following me because of your love. This needs to be a primary motivation for you. He says, a little bit after the passage I just read, he says, there's no greater love than this to lay down your life for other people. Jesus says so clearly here, if you love me, you will do what I command. He said that in this passage, right? And the greatest command is what? To love God and to love others as you love yourself. Right before this, Jesus modeled servant love by washing his disciples' feet and saying, I no longer call you servants, I now call you friends. It's all about love, that that should be the motivation. But if we don't acknowledge that fear is the motivation for our decisions, 
Some of you know that we partner with Elam Church and Hope Avenue. Many of you have been over there. Hope Avenue is a ministry for people who experience homelessness or other people who are highly mobile, who need some extra food, resources. Some of our community members use those resources. We're so thankful for Elam and the work that they're doing. And some of you know that these last couple of weeks, because it's been so cold, they opened an emergency shelter so that people could get off the streets during the daytime. And uh, Elam's amazing. They've got a lot of wonderful, loving folks, but they can't do something like an emergency shelter by themselves. And so they reached out to a lot of churches around the area, and you better believe that I was super proud when Pastor Becky told me that outside of Elam folks, Mill City folks were the second most participants in volunteers, financial gifts, donations, and things like that. And I was so proud. We have the Missional Community Restore community that partners with them regularly and spends time with people in that people group. And uh, when my husband and I were there serving breakfast, man, you can't be there with people uh, who are experiencing what they're experiencing without realizing some things. When we were serving these folks breakfast, I was overwhelmed with how it's not just that I'm coming there as some sort of savior to do something amazing for these folks. They're teaching me. They're telling me things about God and about life and the fragility of what it means to be a human being. When I hear their stories, when I enter into where they're at. And as we were there and we're spending these time with these folks, I realized that I can't be there. I can't serve them and try to love them if and while doing so, I can't do that and also experience fear at the same time or anxiety at the same time. And why? That's because when I'm with them, I experience so much gratitude and thankfulness. Because they teach me to be thankful for what I have, but also thankful for them and for what they teach me and who they are. Did you know that people filled with gratitude literally can't experience fear or anxiety? They've psychologically proven that you can't simultaneously feel anxiety and gratitude at the same time. You can't simultaneously experience fear and thankfulness. Those two things can't be firing in your brain at the same time. They can't coexist. So you see in the context of what Jesus is saying here, he's saying a step that you could take to move towards love and courage and a sense of peace would be a practice of serving somebody else, would be intentionally taking a step. You might not be feeling it, but you take an action. You behave your way into a new experience emotionally and, and intellectually. What practice of love and service might you try this year that could be a part of letting you out of that place of fear in a new way. It might be something small. It doesn't have to be with Hope Avenue. It can be in a lot of different arenas in life. It could be even just serving somebody in your own family in a different way. Okay, finally, the third thing that I think is at stake is our purpose. If fear is pervasive in our lives, our purpose is at stake. And here's why. I heard another pastor say recently this quote, Almost every amazing thing that God has for us in this life is on the other side of fear. Almost every amazing thing that God has for us in this life is on the other side of fear. And when I heard those words, it struck me to the core because I thought about how many times I held myself back from something that God was inviting me into, something that could be amazing. Now, amazing doesn't mean easy. Amazing doesn't always mean happy but something meaningful, something deep, something that mattered. How many times have I been held back from an amazing relationship with someone different than me? How many times have I been held back from an amazing purpose that God wanted to show that he had for my life because I was scared? How many times might 
Jesus be inviting me into something that he's doing around me and I, I can't join in because I'm scared. And it paralyzes me. Maybe you've experienced this too. What difference would it make for you in your life if fear didn't hold you back from some of the things God's inviting you into? What difference would it make for you in your life, in your missional community, for instance, the mission that you have if fear was not a factor in the same way anymore in this new year or in your family? We don't really know what's on the far side of fear unless we get there. And here Jesus gives us some very clear encouragement. Verse 23, we, the Father, Son, and Spirit, will come to them and make our home with them. Right after saying that we should abide and make our home with him. Verse 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Verse 27, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do you hear this? Jesus saying, I will make my home in you. I mean, like 20 times in the vine and branches thing, he said, abide with me, make your home in me, and we will make our home in you. So many times he says this. The Holy Spirit will remind us of what Jesus has said in those moments when we need to be reminded. It's not that there is nothing to fear, but the promise is, in the midst of those hard times, God is with us. And ultimately, that we don't have to fear death because God has conquered it through Jesus. Jesus was the lamb that causes death to pass over us and will live forever with God. And Jesus says something so crucial here. He says, I don't give you as the world gives. I give you peace. Do you hear that contrast there? I don't give you as the world gives. I give you peace. Some of us know the difference between what the world gives and what God gives. Peace, shalom. It's a peace that's deeper than our circumstances that we face. And it's a kind of peace that can only come from God's presence in your life. And so when you hear something coming in your life that you feel is fear, if you're experiencing fear, you need to check the source because it's not God. Fear does not come from God. Sure, God uses our emotions to guide us. God can lead us through our emotions. But when what is really under the iceberg is fear, that is what the world offers, not what God offers to us. I don't want this to sound insensitive, but I think it's important to confront, even in my own life, are we even asking Jesus for his peace? The peace that he says gives the opposite of what the world gives. Are we asking for it? Are we pursuing God's heart of peace in our lives? So often we feel overcome by fear and it makes us upset. I know that happens to me. And I'm thinking, God, just change the circumstance. What's wrong with you? Just change it. Or just make my heart not so scared. Why can't you just flip the switch and change it? I want God to do that. It's almost this form of blaming God. Listen, God can handle our blame games. He totally can handle it. But I think there's a reality that some of us haven't taken the time and the energy to pursue God's peace. I've texted all my friends. I've vented to my mom. I've tried to distract myself in a million ways. I've tried to figure out how I can make a pros and cons list to assess the risk. But have I stopped and asked God for peace? I don't. And then I wonder why it's not there. I don't think that Jesus is trying to trick us. I think that he meant it when he said he offers that peace. But have we taken some time? Maybe we need to fight for that time. It might not even be perfect, quiet time, but can we fight for that time to pursue God's heart for peace in our lives?
The kind of peace that helps us make decisions based on love and not fear. The kind of peace that guides us to keep up our healthy habits even when we get stressed. So we turn away from self-indulgence and actually pursue self-comfort. The kind of peace that helps us stay in relationship with people who we disagree with. The kind of peace that turns our heart outward towards other people and not just our own needs all the time and that selfishness that can control us. The kind of peace that empowers us to take appropriate risks in our lives with courage and to step into the dreams that God has for us in our lives. I believe that Jesus meant it when he said that we can have it, but we have to ask him. It's not vending machine peace, you know? It's not like, you know, put the money in D5 for some joy and it comes out. You know what I'm saying? It's not like C7 for some peace that passes understanding. And then it doesn't come and you're like shaking the machine and smacking it like, where is my peace? Guys, that's transactional, not transformational. The peace that God offers us in our life is transformational. Because if we ask God for that peace, you better believe that God is not going to have it come out like a vending machine, but God's going to lead us as the Lord of our lives to walk away from some things in our life that might actually be the cause of the fear and we didn't realize it. Might be some relationships. God's leadership in our lives, if we ask for that peace, might lead us through a process of healing with a support group or a friend or a therapist or a counselor or at times medication. That leadership might take us to spiritual practices that help anchor us daily. When the world continues to swirl around us, we are anchored in the true self of who we are in our lives and who God says that we are and our identity. But it has to start with acknowledging the fear in our life and pursuing God's heart for peace. A real pursuit, you guys. A pursuit that includes surrender. I'm going to have the band come back up. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we open ourselves truly to being led to God's spirit in our lives, God can enter our lives only because of what Jesus has done for us. That relationship that offers that peace is only possible if we want it. Jesus has done everything necessary to take away the separation between us and God so that we can experience that peace. The brokenness in our lives, the sin in our lives has kept us from that kind of relationship with God. But Jesus took all of that brokenness upon himself when he died upon that cross just a few minutes after what we just read, just a day later, so that it didn't need to be a barrier anymore. Death didn't need to be a barrier. Our brokenness didn't need to be a barrier. And if you are here and you have not yet made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you. It's the most important decision you can make. It doesn't mean that your life won't have fear like that. It's not transactional like that. But it gives you access to the peace that God offers to be motivated by love and peace and courage. Without that relationship, in my opinion, the pursuit of peace will result in a dead end. This is why Jesus wanted us to remember that night that the bread was broken to remind us that his body had been broken for us and the cup reminded us of his blood that had been shed, to remember that reality. And for some of you, when you come down, we're about to, to celebrate communion together. Anybody who is a, a follower of Jesus or who is seeking after Jesus' heart can join us. You don't have to be a member here. This might be a moment for you today to say, I want to surrender. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior, but also my leader to lead me into God's peace in my life. Not in a perfect way, not in an easy way, but in a way that's full of meaning and is real. 
So we're going we're gonna to sing a song, and you're going to be invited. There's going to be people serving communion here and here. You can take the bread, dip it into the cup. The bread's gluten-free, so anybody can participate. And then I'll invite some of our prayer team members to be on the wall here and here. Please let somebody pray for you. If there's anything you need prayer for this morning, we would love for you to, to have that opportunity this morning.